Hey guys, happy Monday and welcome to another episode of Salsa in the City. Um, first, I wanted to apologize for this two-week hiatus from posting new episodes. Um, ultimately, this can really only be attributed to me trying to balance a full-time job with a fully um, self-run and self-produced, self-recorded, self um, everything done by myself for this podcast, um, which I love, but it's the stress of, you know, balancing those two things has definitely caught up. So, um, I really do apologize for the delay in posting an episode and I will do my best going forward, but I honestly just can't promise that it will be weekly podcasts as much as I really love when I, I can post weekly, but I'll, I'll do my best. I promise. Um, but before I jump into this episode with Emily and Lindsay, which I think you all will really um, enjoy, and I, it's something I'm surprised I haven't talked about considering uh, that I've had my podcast for, you know, going on two and a half years, which is wild. Um, but I think you'll really enjoy it. But again, before I, I jump into that, um, I just wanted to share kind of a cool story with you all that hopefully you'll appreciate and um I don't know understand like why it brought me so much joy so uh for those who of you um you know who are familiar with South by Southwest it's it takes place in Austin um I honestly don't really fully understand what type of conference is it it is it's like a tech conference but also there's just a lot going on and music and it's really been cool and they haven't had it for two years and it's finally back and it's been going on starting um, last Friday. And I was lucky enough um, to attend an event this Saturday um, hosted by Doing Things Media and Friday Beers. And um, it was really awesome because I got to meet, let me count, at least six people who have been on this podcast before um, and I cannot explain how incredible that feeling of something coming full circle was. Just thinking back to when I started this podcast and was, you know, just DMing people, hoping they'd answer or even look at you know, my my note to come on, and then slowly moving into continuing to get to DM people and then following up over email and then continuing to email and, um, you know, when when the pandemic happened, I had to do everything remote, so. Um, there were a lot of people who I had on, the majority of people who I've never met in person. And so just seeing these like people who I admire and who've shared their stories with me and then meeting them in, in person just really had me so almost emotional because this podcast is something I'm I'm so not only passionate about, but it's a, it's the thing I'm most proud of in my life. And I've put my heart and soul into every single episode and I hope you all know that and so to then go and you know meet these people who helped these episodes reach more and more individuals who may or may not be struggling but regardless um, to help get my voice out and my story out has was really rewarding and um, so by any chance 
you know, any of you guys that are listening who are, you know, one of those six people I mentioned, um, thank you so much. And thank you for, you know, being so kind and for coming on the podcast to begin with. I really appreciate it. Um, But without further ado, here are Emily and Lindsay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I'm so excited to finally be here with Emily and Lindsay Stetzer, who are the co-founders of Presently. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. And I was saying before how I am so sorry for postponing this a bazillion times, but I'm so glad we were finally able to connect, and I'm excited. Um, I'm really excited for this conversation, just both, you know, to speak to two female entrepreneurs on International Women's Day is pretty dope. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I know I was like reading all the posts. I was like, ah, I need to need to make an Instagram post for this. But um, <laughs> it's exciting to be speaking with you guys. And I'm also, I mean, we'll go more into your story, but I, I'm really, uh, I've been looking forward to talking about this topic for a while. So um, hopefully anyone listening is, well, the people will relate. So anyways, let's get into it. Um, Tell me about yourselves. Uh, where are you each from? I mean, your sisters, so I'm sure there'll be redundancies. How <laughs> old are each of you? Where did y'all grow up? Uh, what's y'all's story? Sure. Um, so we are from Long Island, New York, which is where we're currently living since the pandemic. Um, we actually almost signed an apartment to move into the city, which is exciting. Um, I am 27. I'm 27. Yes. <laughs> And uh, I'm 32. And uh, I'm Emily Lindsay, the younger one, and Lindsay's the older one. Awesome. Uh, what was I going to say? Wait, what are y'all's birthdays? I'm just curious. Um, I'm December 7th, 94. So you're a uh, Sag? Yeah. Okay. I'm a Cancer. Um, I am June 28th, 1989. Nice. I don't know if you can see here, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I, I'm kind of into astrology, even though I don't know anything about it. I just, I think it's interesting. So I don't, I don't know the dynamics. My sister's an Aries, so I'm a Virgo. So I also don't know anything about that, but <laughs> so, um, before, you know, before we hopped on the call, um, you know, you both informed me, but that each of you grew up with OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, this is a topic that's that really hits home for me personally um, because I've spent most of my life, childhood, teenage years, college years, adulthood, et cetera, uh, battling compulsive thoughts. And I don't believe that many people or like maybe the majority of our population really understands the nuances of this disorder. And if anything, it comes up cloakly. That's a hard word to say. Colloquially. It comes up in daily conversations too often and is used too much to be interchanged with something like um, as like a negative term and have a negative connotation. And as someone who battled really bad OCD as a uh, child and, you know, still is working on it and will forever be, um, that always bugged me. And so I'm 
you know, interested to learn about each of your experiences and how they are similar and how they are different. So I guess, you know, um, Lindsay, if you want to start, like, just tell me a little bit about, you know, your experience growing up and, and how you were affected with OCD. So um, whenever we talk about both of my, my Emily's OCD and my OCD, they're very different. Um, and we didn't realize how different they were until we started like talking about it openly, you know, to people and explaining it. And we could see like that there are, you know, differences, but there's also similarities between um, the compulsion. Well, not so much the compulsion, more the obsessions. Um, but for me, I, I knew I had OCD or realized I had OCD when I was like in middle school and could have been before then, but it was, I think my dad helped me identify what it was because I was like kind of doing, you know, your, your lining up of things, touching things repeatedly. Um, and very much like it was more so compulsions that you could see as a kid. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like as I'm older, it's more of, um, compulsions internally so it's like you know mental checks and and all that stuff and asking yourself if if something happened or if everything is okay um so it's just it's just interesting and even talking about it now it's like interesting to see how it kind of was more external when I was a kid Mm -hmm. and now as an adult it's more internal so people really won't wouldn't be able to tell that I had OCD today um And and not that I, you know, would go to school and start lining things up, but, you know, there were some things that probably, you know, you could point out as a kid that I was doing. Um, But my OCD started to, um, it was more so like doing something a certain amount of time so something bad wouldn't happen to like a family member or myself. And then that was kind of like middle school. And then once I got to high school, it was, I was doing certain, I don't say, I wouldn't say my OCD was as um, prevalent in my world at that time, but then it all of a sudden came out of nowhere in a different form, which is what was the scary part about it for me. It was that I was in high school and I had an experience um, that kind of shook me that I almost got so nervous and I couldn't convince myself or I couldn't understand how to convince myself if, if things were real or not, or if I was alive or if my parents were alive or if I was dead or they were dead. And like, it kind of, that was like a whole um, crazy time that I had to kind of sit through and, and experience when I was like, I think I was a junior in high school. So it was like, so you know, young. yeah, so young, but also at such a vulnerable age. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's wild to me that I had, you know, I, I, and the reason I had all those fears and all those feelings, not the reason, but what, what kind of sprung that kind of idealization and the existential OCD was because I had smoked pot and had this experience where I became so paranoid and everything was like very out of body for me when I experienced it. And that feeling and that like um, experience that I had was a similar experience that I had when I was just sitting, sitting on my toilet one night in high school. And I had the same, I had the same, it kind of came back to you. The feelings came back to me in the same way that I 
freaked myself out and became had like a full panic attack mm-hmm. because I'm starting to think like how do I like I don't even know what how the thought came up but I was like how do I know if I am I alive or how do I know if like things are real like how do I know if I'm like in this universe and it just kept going like I mean once you once you have start those thoughts um and everyone I'm sure has these thoughts but once you're in such a, a place that you're you it becomes so it, it literally takes hold of you and like sinks you into the quicksand and it's hard to unless you know what it is it's hard to kind of like step out of it and say this is just OCD because I had no idea it was OCD and like I knew yeah. I had OCD prior but I didn't know it was it could get to this form of OCD interesting so, so yeah it was kind of crazy and complicated and you know ever since then it I'm able to like step outside of seeing the thoughts as they are and the obsessions as they are and understand that like there's so many different forms of OCD so it's been kind of like a whole learning process for me as well was it like disassociation um I I don't think so it was more like It, it could have been a little bit but it's more so now they call it existential OCD where it's like you're having um you know obsessive thoughts about life in general like anyone on any day that we could have like a random thought that's like well I wonder like what what if you would know if you're dead or you yeah. know what what is what it like for all dead? sims or something exactly exactly so everyone has those kinds of thoughts and um I think the main difference is that someone with OCD kind of sticks onto it and like really takes it to heart like yeah. instead of being like that's just a crazy thought I don't need to go there it's like oh my God, I had this thought. So that means that there must, must be, be in a different universe right. because why else would I be thinking it? Mm-hmm. Um, because people with OCD have a hard time separating themselves from their own thoughts, yep. even though thoughts don't mean anything and they come and go randomly. And so um, I think that's like a really important d- differentiating factor. And then Emily, what was your experience like? Yeah, so I am um, five and a half years younger than Lindsay. Um, so when all of this stuff was happening with her in middle school and high school, um, I just wasn't like aware of it at the time. I just was, I don't know if I was like too young to understand it, but I just really have no, um, you know, recollection of her even like lining things up. Um, I think you're already in your own space of like worrying about stuff. Yeah. So, so, my experience started in probably in elementary school into middle school where I was just like super anxious, had separation anxiety, like never wanted to go to school, um, just like anxious all around. Um, and so I think, um, you know, at the time, you know, I would just, as I got a little bit older and I was in middle school, I was like, okay, I'm just like a super anxious person. Um, and you know, her being that Lindsay had OCD already, you would think that, you know, we would know if I also had OCD, like it never really came to any of our minds that that could be a possible diagnosis. And it wasn't like we didn't talk about it in our house. Like it was very much apparent that like I had OCD because I would be like staying up late and having people repeat everything. Well, so yeah, there are certain, there's, I think there's, it got to a point where the first thing I remember of her having OCD was like, 
you know, I had specific memories of her asking my mom to repeat something like right before we go to bed. Um, and so there are certain things that I learned like this year about her that I just was too, too young or just didn't remember, didn't like stick in my memory. Um, so anyway, so our two separate anxieties were totally different. Um, we didn't even like think OCD at the time, but then I got to college, high school kind of like simmered down a little bit. Um, college came around where I was sort of, I was in a psychology class, I think. And all of a sudden I started like thinking about some of the obsessions I had when I was in middle school, um, which I didn't realize were obsessions at the time. So like, for example, I would, you know, a lot of my compulsions were in like confessing. So if I had a thought like in middle school, like what if I grow up to smoke cigarettes and I'm going to be addicted or, you know, what if I grow up and I'm like a shoplifter or something? And I like confessed to my mom, like, you know, and it's like so random. And I didn't think about that when it was happening. Um, but later, just like Lindsay, when like later on, it sort of came back to me, I sort of like, you know, had like a similar experience where I was like, oh my God, like, like, you know, I'm, I'm just remembering all of these things. And um, a big, a big one was, you know, being in middle school, everyone's, you know, curious about their sexuality. And, um, you know, I guess I went through a period of time where I, you know, was either having like obsessive thoughts, like what if I don't know? who I'm attracted to. Um, and so that kind of, I guess, stayed in middle school. And then when I got to college, that sort of like hit me like a, like a ton of bricks almost. Like it just came out of nowhere, but it didn't at the same time. Um, and so, you know, I was dealing with this a lot through college, didn't really talk about it to anyone. Um, and it wasn't until I graduated that I went to therapy and kind of sort of explained my situation. And, you know, the first session she was like, you know, I see some like generalized anxiety disorder, but I also see signs of OCD. And so I think that's when it sort of like clicked to me that, um, you know, even though I wasn't like lining things up, I wasn't asking people to like repeat questions. It was so much like internal mental compulsion, mental obsessions and compulsions that even I didn't like understand it. So I think that's like, we are always like, every time we like think about how different our OZDs are, like it just, it makes it that much more important to actually like share what we're going through because like somebody else out there could be like, you know, having- that's Exactly what I'm, yeah. Like someone out there could be having obsessive thoughts and, you know, just thinking like, oh my God, I'm a terrible person or, Oh my God. Or this like, is like, or it's just me at that. No one else is thinking this, right. but it's so not true because it doesn't even matter what the thought is. It's just the fact that you're obsessing about a thought. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's going to be people listening who are like, wow, that is exactly my experience. And, you know, it's so interesting. I feel like I can relate to different like parts of each of your experience and also have, you know, my own unique uh, story so to uh, so to speak and you know for the sake of the point of my podcast which is the vulnerability I can share because I honestly don't think I've ever really talked about it on the podcast for me um, well, f 
first of all, I grew up in a in a house that even though we were very my parents are very accepting. Um, and I don't know if it's and I, it, ironically, I, I had a call with someone who works for um, AEPI and he told me, you know, I promise well, this will make sense. Um, <laughs> I took like a hard left. I promise this. I'll get back to it. Um, but you know, the it, for those who don't know, API is a national um, fraternity um, for Jewish men. Like you can join if you're not Jewish, but it's mostly Jewish. And he said, you know, the uh, mental health is even more stigmatized in Jewish culture. And that was like an oh shit moment for me because my mom is Jewish and. Growing up, even though I, in hindsight, was like the poster child of obsessive compulsive disorder, my parents never batted an eye. And in now looking back, I see those characteristics in my family members, but it's not OCD. It's labeled as superstition. And so if yeah. I go on a flight... You know, I'll have a family member who has to say fly safe five times and then three more times or knock on wood or poo, poo, poo. And in growing up, I thought, oh, it's just superstitions. Um, Like I need to. It, it makes total sense that every other day I'm going to have stomach issues or like that was a big thing for me. I, every other day I was convinced myself <laughs> I'm going to throw up. It was so bizarre mm -hmm. and little things that, you know, weren't stereotypical OCD of being afraid of germs or things like right. that. And things that, that they show OCD in the media, in, like exactly organized and neat. That's not, that's not like just OCD. Exactly. And it was just things like that, that were, that peaked in sixth and seventh grade. And I never had an answer and the closest I got was to when I was um, – well, I had been diagnosed with Tourette's already and that was something my parents were looking into. And so many of things between, you know, Tourette's and OCD, anxiety, ADHD, they're all comorbid. And I remember seeing something and saying, like, Tourette's is comorbid with OCD. And I'm like, that makes <laughs> sense. Like – like who why didn't someone tell me and exactly then, that's literally the answer to everything is like why didn't I know this when I needed to know it exactly and I think you know that's like especially our age we didn't grow up with the internet we didn't grow up with TikTok we couldn't you know the TikTok there was no TikTok algorithm to magically show us like people who also had OCD mm -hmm. and so I grew up being just constantly in fear constantly worry consciously like constantly anxious and then just like you guys like it kind of settled down and then when I was in college I um it, it came back and what what's interesting is like this this realization of what it was literally happened like a couple days ago when I was listening to Brene Brown's new book where she talks about OCD for a person I think it was Brene Brown's book sorry it's not where you are obsessing over a person and um, and the example they gave is like, you'll be thinking about a friend and be like, why didn't they text me back? They must be mad at me and you can't get it out of your head. And that my whole life or, you know, my adult life, I thought, oh, that's just my anxiety. But then 
hearing that explained, I was like, that's my OCD. Like that is exactly what uh, is happening. And that's was a huge thing of, you know, being afraid, being like, oh my gosh, my friends aren't texting me back. It's been two hours. They must hate me. And then I apologize about it. Right. Yeah. And then I'm like, are you mad at me? And they're like, I'm not mad at you. Stop asking. (laughs) And it's just this vicious cycle of like, your mind is completely fucking with you. Yeah. It takes a hold. It hijacks you. That's like the word that I always stuck to. It's like, it literally hijacks your mind and you can't think of anything else but that until you get the right answer or till you get to that, that the little bit of relief, let's say if you give into the compulsion or the obsession and you get a little bit of relief, it always wants more. And Mm -hmm. that's a crazy cycle about OCD. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting. You guys are sisters and, and it, you know, um, Lindsay, like you experiencing it first, I I think I don't think my sister would mind me sharing this because her her OCD lucky luckily is not nearly not not that you know one is worse one is better but we were we also bonded on it because we both share the same like fear of like for or not even fear but if I ever lost anything I had to know like where is my dress where's and I would not be able to think about anything else until. I knew it was in my closet at home, you know, or if I lost something, I'd immediately have to order a new one. And, and, and just like random things that for the normal person, they would be like, that sucks, whatever, move on my day. Whereas both me and my sister, if we couldn't find, you know, or it, we, we would have the same exact reactions to losing personal items. And we both would we, we, we went to each other to kind of vent because it's just a horrible feeling of being like so in the unknown and not being able even though it's not your fault to, that you are stuck in this mindset and what was your can I just ask what your um what was your fears if you didn't do if you didn't order a new pair or if you didn't like find that? out where it was it's a good question Honestly, it wasn't even like fears. It was just, it was more of like the, that's when the um, physical symptoms would hit. And I just have that Mm -hmm. knot in my stomach and not be able to focus on anything else as I'm like navigating college, taking intense courses. Right, right, right. And it's so it, and it's almost like that fear of like being like, like that fear of just being in the unknown forever or that fear of it just interfering with more important things, I think. exactly. Yeah. So I feel like if you're, you know, that was you, that was like anything should be, should be anxious about the thing, but also anxious that she was anxious and that she was also going to miss out on the thing because she was anxious. It was like, it kept yeah, going. Yeah. Like I just yeah. like, a, like a, the worst you know, snowball. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think a lot of the times, like we'd say like, what's your fear, but, but sometimes it's more less, you know, a specific fear of something happening and more of just like that fear of anxiety, which is interesting because I feel like that's you. And for me, it was more of like, there was like a consequence. Like I had it in my mind of Mm -hmm. what was going to happen. Like visually I could, something was going to happen to me. Someone was going to get hurt. 
and I guess I could visualize it as opposed to feel it. And I feel mm-hmm. like you and you and Zoe, like you can, f- you felt it first and then, you know. Yeah. yeah, that's, and it, it just points to the nuances that are just not talked about enough. Mm-mm. Yeah, I, was, I just realized this, like I'm talking it out now. I know, me too. Thinking like, <laughs> oh, that's, pro- that's, you know, like, cause you're just, you're realizing things about yourself every day. And especially like following all these Instagram accounts about OCD, like, I'm like, oh, I forgot about that one. Like I definitely like had that fear at one point and it makes a lot of sense. And like, things just kind of like keep coming back. Um, and so that's just like, so imp- why it's so important and why we're doing what we're doing because talking about it, um, you're literally seeing, like listening it to it happen unfold live. Like we're literally like continuing to discover new things about ourselves. And it just makes you feel so much less alone. Um, and can, you know, help someone identify what they're going through and try to, you know, make sense of it and, and get some help for it. Absolutely. So I know, you know, for me personally, um, be- and maybe this is because my OCD was like very much linked with anxiety. Once I started taking um, SSRIs for my anxiety, the OCD kind of dissipated as well. Um, so I'm curious what, you know, each of you, uh, like what your experiences was in tackling the OCD, or at least, you know, it's obviously something that unfortunately we're always going to have to live with, but like taking a stab at it. Um, yeah. So it's interesting because I read an Instagram post today, which is just another example of like, I'm learning new things every day where someone wrote, um, you know, I'm, I'm no longer, I no longer classify as someone with diagnostic, I no longer meet the criteria for an OCD diagnosis. And so I thought that was really interesting because it doesn't mean you don't have OCD. It just means you kind of like are in recovery from it, or, you know, like it's not taking up as much of your day as it used to. Um, and so I think that you know, you, you might say, well, you know, it's, it's not curable or you might, um, you know, have to live with it forever. But like, I was, I used to think about this all the time. Like why, like, I feel like I don't suffer from a lot of the things that I talk about and I'm like, okay, well, do I actually have OCD? Like, (laughs) am I just like a fraud? Am I just like talking about things that I don't even like have anymore? And so that like really like shed a light on it that like it's possible to like be in like full recovery or you know really just not have the same fears that you used to but I think the major thing that helped me and I know helped Lindsay was cognitive behavioral therapy um and I and I do take um sertraline which is just like generic Zoloft yeah (laughs) Um, but yeah so so I didn't start off with that I started off with just therapy Um, and it helped a lot. And I just, you know, like doing the exercises and learning how to kind of like interpret your thoughts or how essentially you shouldn't be interpreting your thoughts. Um, and you know, just like talking through with someone what the thought is and, you know, what your fear is and sort of like diving headfirst into the fear really just like helps so much and it's so hard in the beginning because you have to literally do the thing that you're afraid of 
Um, so if I was like afraid of, you know, touching a subway pole, I would literally have to go do that as my homework. And so um, that I think is like one of the main forms of treatment for OCD. And then, you know, when I sort of felt like, you know, I, I learned all the tools, I'm, you know, I'm getting better at it, but I still feel like I'm easily, you know, triggered, then that's when I sort of started the, um, the sertraline, which kind of just like makes it easier for you to like complete the cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy homework, so yeah. to speak. Um, so I don't know. I mean, yeah. I think that's your experience as well. I think like for me, um, I started because I, because in middle school, I didn't go to therapy. Like I didn't up until I was in high school when I had that panic attack and that it took, it took about a couple of years to like get myself to a point where I could fully, um, not have the fear of this, but I still get it today. It still comes up for me. Um, but I've learned to, I've, I learned about OCD and that's what helped me was that like learning about that this is part of OCD and this is, this is a common thought and a common feeling and a common fear. And that putting that into a box and like saying, okay, that is what it is. That's all I can do. And that, and I get the fears and feelings, but it's, I'm able to distance myself from it, you know, and, and see it as for what it is OCD. Um, and for me, like I, because I was in such a, um, a panic state when I, when I first started going to therapy for my OCD, um, I also, I wouldn't take medication because of my OCD. So I was like, there were so many things that I couldn't do that I needed to do in order to get better. Um, but I had to, you know, try a different, a few different therapies out, um, all cognitive behavioral therapy, because that was kind of the recommended, um, you know, path for OCD, um, but yeah, I still take medicine and I still go to therapy because for me, it, because OCD has been so ingrained or so involved in my life from like all I can remember, it's all these things that I'm realizing are OCD have become very um, second nature to me. So it's like, it's almost like a, a habit that you kind of have to break. So, and how it kind of intertwines into your life, it, the, the cognitive behavioral part and my therapist is almost helping me like realize, realize things that, that this is the way it should be. And this is the way it shouldn't be. And, um, more of like a personal, like life coach to kind of help me navigate through life with OCD, but also navigate life just as my own. Now that I have the time to, you know, cause you get so consumed in your thoughts that like, it's almost like, what do you do when you stop obsessing? Right, right. right. Yeah. And you have to, like, you have to train yourself and you have to like learn new things and learn new um, techniques and different ways of doing things. So, yeah. Would y'all mind kind of explaining to those who don't know what cognitive behavioral therapy is and how it's, um, you know, like what it entails? I mean, it's funny because I feel like CBT has become more and more common Um, just with the increased attention put on mental health. But, you know, for those who don't know, just like a little summary, I guess. (laughs) Yes. So um, essentially cognitive behavioral therapy 
is um, a form of therapy where you take a look at your thoughts and feelings and how they influence your behaviors. For cognitive behavioral therapy, you're exposing yourself to the thoughts and the fears that you have and the obsessions and the compulsions. And you're basically putting it on, you're putting a spotlight on it (laughs) and you are having to experience all of those feelings and those thoughts that come up and you're having to like reenact it almost like live for yourself um, in order to get to a place where you feel okay with it being out in the open. So like, for example, you know, if I had a thought about um, my mom getting into a car accident, even saying it out loud, it's just gives me anxiety, but getting to a car accident, I would have to literally explain how that happened and how I, how I um, thought that I was the reason for it. Like, let's say I call her on the phone and she gets distracted and she, you know, turns the wheel and then the car hits her and stuff. Like I would have to go through that imaginal exposure and talk about it out loud in therapy or write it down or um, I don't think act it out, but but kind of creating that, that whole um, feared scenario, feared scenario and what it feels like and feel it in that moment. And like, it's so hard because you're like, you have to like kind of get to the, all the details of it. And, and that's what is the scary part about it too. And it's, it's bringing up that fear of this incredible loss that I think for so many people have this fear and not knowing how to deal with it after. And then you talk through it and figure out how you're going to get to the next step. And it's kind of like that process of kind of teaching you or showing you almost, it's almost like you're showing yourself that in life, there will be stuff that happens that is hard to overcome and, and feels like it's impossible sometimes. But at the end of the day, you know, once you have all these, you have these resources and you, and you actually have the ability to kind of move forward. And it's like getting you um, away from that fear of the unknown and the possibilities that could happen. And it's getting to a place of like, there is a lot of unknowns and there, and getting you comfortable with that fact of the unknown. Yeah. And I, and I think also it's, it's, in a way you're trying to disrupt that cycle of unproductive thinking. So um, if you're anxious about something and, you know, and you go on to continue to find, try to find that evidence of, you know, whatever you're thinking is not true or um, trying to like double check that, you know, whatever you just did, didn't just get your mom in a car accident. Um, When you stop it at that point, you're stopping that like perpetual cycle And so you're learning new ways to kind of like react to your thoughts or react to your anxieties or your feelings. Um, You know, so instead of like checking, instead of, you know, her avoidance behavior might be, I'm not going to ever call her while she's driving because I'm afraid that it'll distract her. So, you know, doing that exact opposite thing, like calling her while she's driving and kind of like sitting with that, like uncertainty and sitting with the fear and not you know, not, you know, diving deeper into the thoughts of like, okay, I'm not gonna, like, I'm not gonna talk that loudly, or I'm not gonna, you know, I'm like, you're not gonna, you have to not do anything that might negate whatever anxiety it is that you're feeling. Yeah. Um, 
So that makes sense. It's like kind of exposure therapy too, in a sense. Yeah. And also it's, it's also the fact of like my therapist says, it's not like you're playing defense all the time. It's, it's all, it's also about learning to um, play offense. So like not just waiting for the anxiety to hit you, it's being proactive and like doing steps that help you um, when, when you get, um, so you can be prepared for whenever that, whenever, whenever you get an anxious thought or whenever you get triggered or something like that. So it's kind of getting you ready for those moments as well. Got it. Got it. Uh, do you have any like favorite or most helpful takeaways from CBT that you can share with my audience, like regardless of whether or not they share, you know, a, an OCD diagnosis? Yeah, so um, my favorite one um, that I actually learned from Lindsay before I went to therapy um, was my thoughts are passing clouds. And, you know, we could talk about that later, but that's one of like the phrases in um, that we have on our bracelets. But essentially, it is a way to remind you that whatever thoughts come in and out of your mind um, you know, it's okay to just kind of like observe them and look at them without, you know, wondering where they're going or what they mean or where they came from. Um, so you're, you're almost just like observing them. It's, you're not, you know, ignoring them. It's almost that like in between where you're, you know, that they're there, you're acknowledging their existence, but you're not analyzing them. And so that's like the essential idea behind mindfulness um, which is also a big um, part of our, you know, what we've used to help get through our OCD. Um, and it's just, you know, being aware of, of, you know, what is happening in your mind, being aware that like whatever thought just came in is an OCD thought um, and being aware of like how your behaviors and how your actions and the compulsions are going to perpetuate that. So it's just like this full, you know, state of awareness. Um, and I think that's perfectly like encapsulated in my thoughts are passing clouds because you're aware of the thoughts, you're aware of the, the clouds, but, you know, you don't have to become personally invested in them. You can kind of just, you know, free yourself from that burden almost. Um, and that's like the main thing that's helped me. I love that. Know, I think for me, um, I would say in, in my therapist always says like, um, if you were to bet your right arm, you know, like what is most probable, you know, is it most probable that someone poisoned you answer? I would usually say, I'm not sure, but I know in my back of my mind, I'm like, no, it's yeah. not probable. I wouldn't waste their money and buy poison to poison me. Um, so that's something where it's like, I always kind of have to remember. I always remember that at the back of my mind, like if I were to bet my right arm, like what, if you were to, you know, you know, tell us, tell us what you think in this, in this very moment, is it most probable that somebody did something to you? Um, and that's the question that I, I always ask myself and I always kind of continue and use that throughout, throughout my life so far. So I think that's like mostly for, you know, embracing uncertainty, mm -hmm. right? Cause it's like, right. Because it's like, it could. There is that 1%, but like in anything in life, there is yeah. that uncertainty. There's no certainty in life. And it's like, 
understanding that aspect and how to live with that uncertainty is is a lot of what cognitive behavioral therapy is about and like understanding that it's okay to live with that uncertainty it's okay to be uncertain and there's going to be uncertainty in anything that you do so definitely so i want to uh kind of shift gears and talk a little bit more about presently which is the company that you guys started together um kind of in you know response and using the as you mentioned uh emily like some of the techniques you learned through cbt um so i'd love to hear a little bit more about you know the mission behind it the story behind it and kind of what led you to start the company yeah so we um essentially like a lot of small businesses lately have started during the pandemic. Um, the, you know, we were living at home and um, there was just like a lot of unknowns at the time, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety. Um, you know, on top of the pandemic, I was um, entering a long distance relationship. Um, and so, you know, a lot of things were changing as, as for so many people. And so, um, I was starting to feel like I was getting like sucked down into the quicksand, like Lindsay was saying earlier. And I couldn't, you know, I, I started to realize that it's really hard when you're so anxious about something and you're, um, you know, you have that physical, like, you know, not in your stomach. It's so hard to go back to what you've learned from your therapist and apply it in the moment. You know, like it's so easy to like, you know, say- It's well, so easy to forget all the right. stuff that you- Right. And, and, you know, using it in, you know, a therapy session, you know, it's much easier than when it hits you when you're not expecting it. Um, and so I was looking for a bracelet that had something that would remind me of the things that I've learned, but I was in like a place where I was like, I don't know what I learned. Like, I can't remember a single thing that my therapist taught me for some reason, because I was just, my mind was so foggy, um, which is just like, you know, a, another reason why I needed this bracelet, I guess. Um, and so when I was looking, I couldn't, you know, I was looking up affirmation bracelets, but, you know, all I was really getting was, you know, good vibes only, or, um, you know, don't worry, be happy. And so I was getting frustrated that I couldn't even think of what to search for an OCD, like affirmation, because it's not really an affirmation. It's more of just like a reminder. Yeah. Um, and like how to condense that into like one phrase. So eventually I was like, okay, I'll just make my own. And of course the, my thoughts of passing clouds came to mind. Cause that was something that genuinely, like when I thought of it, I could feel like all the pressure sort of lift off my shoulders and I could like breathe again. Cause you're reminded like, oh, these are just thoughts. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't have to address every single one of them. Um, and so then I sort of, you know, went to Lindsay and was like, um, wouldn't it be cool if we started, you know, if we, we kind of became that resource for others who might be looking for something similar, even if you don't have OCD. And Lindsay has always been super vocal about her OCD and her anxiety with friends. Um, you know, we were on a birthright trip and she shared it kind of with the whole crowd. And it was I, a big hit. It was, <laughs> she was a big hit. So I think, you know, it's just like the perfect combination of her wanting to help more people. Because mm -hmm. um, I was, I was, I always wanted to write a 
book and I still want to write a book about my journey with OCD because it's been so, so crazy. Um, it's gone in so many different directions. And I feel like the whole thing about us being open about it and sharing it, it's like that helps break down those walls and those stigmas because it becomes more normalized and, and people actually could see that what they're going through is not just it's not just them. Like there's other people that are going through the same thing. And I feel like until, until we started presently, I'd always say this, like, I always say like, it's so important to share because your story can impact, just impact one person, but then that one person can share to another person and it's just, you know, an ongoing, um, good cycle. Yeah. Good cycle. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And I, I checked out the bracelets and they're so pretty and it's, um, and I'm definitely obviously going to, you know, share with all my listeners and, and I want one as well of us to, you know, even just to like play with, because I feel like that's kind of keeps you present and keeps you. Yeah, and even if you, you know, you, so if you go on our site, there's, um, six different phrases and they, they all kind of touch on all the lessons that we've learned in cognitive behavioral therapy, like embracing uncertainty and, um, you know, being okay with sitting in that uncomfortable feeling, um, which kind of ties back to like that fear of being anxious um, and, you know, letting go of what you can't control all of just like the real effective reminders that will actually help you shape the anxiety or manage the anxiety a little bit more. And so you can like move on with your day and your life. Cause even like I, I, who have been, to, I've been to therapy for so long. It's like in those moments of of anxiety, even if it's not intense anxiety, just in those moments, like having something that brings you back and grounds you in that present moment to what you've learned for so long. And like, just giving you that helpful nudge, like it's like a helpful sister being like, you know, stop that Lindsay. It's like, yeah, that's also, that was another reason why we are so passionate about it is because we are constantly like, going back and forth at each other. Like, are you sure there wasn't an OCD thought? Like, mom, don't answer that question. Like that was OCD. So like, we kind of have that like back and forth where we're able to like, kind of be that annoying, like slap in the face to be <laughs> so like, you you're, you're allowed to be anxious. You need to stay anxious. Like, <laughs> yeah. so, um, and because none of the bracelets that or the jewelry that we were finding that's supposed to kind of like, you know, ground you and, and motivate you weren't really doing that. Um, it's more like sugar coated. Yeah. So no, I love that. Um, so before I dive into a couple of my ending questions, I just had a, I'm curious because I used to watch this video literally whenever I wanted to cry, which sounds weird, but just like when you need that cathartic tears, have you seen the button poetry with Neil Hilborn? Oh, I will send it to you guys after this slash I'm going to share it um, in the show notes. It is the most powerful thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I literally I've probably been watching this video for over 10 years now and it's it's I just can't even describe it. It's, it's so beautiful and so powerful and it just encapsulate, encapsulates like the frustration that comes with OCD. So oh, it's, mm. I'll share it with you guys and just get ready to cry. It's, it's, yeah, we'll watch it, it, tonight. it is a, it's a good go-to whenever you just need a, you know, a good sob. But um, 
anyways, <laughs> so I always wrap my po- uh, podcast up with a couple of questions. Um, so the first one being, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? I'd have to say my OCD. <laughs> I always say it. Um, and it's the truth because if I, although it's been very extremely challenging and hard and in the moments when it's so intense and so scary I don't want to experience it but it's made me who I am today because it's it's taught me patience it's taught me to be um, vulnerable it's taught me to be accepting of others and yeah like I feel like anyone and it's it's so nice that like I feel like anyone can kind of come to me with anything that they're going through because I allow that and I'm open about it with my own struggles so um, yeah, it's just made me a better communicator. I would say, I don't know if this is something that actually happened to me, but it was that moment that I decided to go to therapy because it was such a frightening experience. I actually had never been so afraid to do anything in my entire life. Um, and so like that, you know, I'm just like remembering sitting in the waiting room and going in there and like, what is she going to ask me? Is she going to judge me? Like, all this stuff, like it just changed everything. And so I think, you know, no matter how afraid you are of going, you will not regret it. And I say this to everybody, yeah. even if you don't have OCD, even if you're, you're only anxious sometimes, or you don't think you really have an anxiety disorder, just like being able to understand your own mind is like a gift. Yes. A hundred percent. And I always say this, that we're not taught it in, in elementary school and we should be taught how the mind works because if we were taught how the mind works, a lot of us that are struggling or have struggled, you know, in earlier years, it, it would have helped us so much more. Like mm-hmm. for me, if I understood the whole idea about existential OCD, maybe they don't go into that much detail about it, but like understanding that that is part of OCD, it would have saved years and years. Yeah. No, I mean, you're preaching to the choir, literally sell therapy (laughs) as my job. (laughs) And and the biggest component, it's like the best thing you can do. It's the best investment you can make. Um, Mm -hmm. This is going to sound super cheesy because usually the next question I ask is, you know, what do you love most about yourself? But I just realized like, you know, got sisters. So I'm going to ask, what do you love most about yourself? And then what do you love most about each other? Oh, God. (laughs) She's the sappy one. I'm not the sappy <laughs> one. person. Oh, okay. Um, what I love about myself is that I'm super, I think that I'm, I'm, I'm good at kind of reading other people's emotions or kind of like helping to sort out what you're thinking and what you're feeling and that might just be a result of me being in therapy and trying to be everyone else's therapist. But um, I just, I, I like that I have that perspective that I can help others with. Um, and then me. And the thing I love the most about Lindsay is her un, like, I, what's the word? Like infinite, endless, love for me as a sister like there's nothing that could make her 
Like she might be mad at me for a second, but there's nothing that could make her like, I don't know. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It's unconditional beautiful. love. <laughs> I'm crying. Uh, yes. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm tearing unconditional up. Unconditional love as a sister. And now she's tearing up and not uncomfortable. <laughs> um, <sighs> oh, how do you follow that one? Um, I would say the thing I love most about myself, that was the question, right? I hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, is my compassion um, and understanding of others and myself. Um, and the, the thing that I love most about Emily is that the fact that like, like she said, we can, we can have an argument, but then the next minute later we can be, um, joking again. And, and her, um, ability to not take things so personally and her understanding of, situations and facts and all of that and having a good um a good understanding of just people in general oh, so I was right about myself <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's amazing oh well thank you guys both so much um where can everyone uh follow presently buy your bracelets plug everything um, so we are Think Presently on every single platform. Um, thinkpresently.com. Our the company name is actually just presently. Um, but for um domain uh name purposes, we needed to stick with Think Presently. So um think presently, think presently, think presently. Amazing. Uh well, thank you guys again and bye everyone. Mm-hmm.